2: Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, welcome to part four of the Odds and Ends of 2003. We got two episodes to go now before the big albums countdown of 03. We kicked off this episode... With the icon, the legend, James Osterberg, better known as Iggy Pop, punk rock godfather right there. And that song was called Jose the Arab. And that was a B-side from the Skull Ring EP that came out to tie into the Skull Ring release. And let's just get this out of the way. Skull Ring will not be on my album's countdown of 2003. Now, I like a few songs off of that record. Some of the songs on Skull Ring are really good. Weirdly enough, this is so weird to say, if you're not aware of this release, by the way, this is going to tell you how fucked up this album is. The album was really predicated on a reunion between Iggy and the Stooges. You know, there were surviving members of the Stooges and in name. So Skull Ring became a pseudo Stooges reunion, also, maintaining probably at Iggy's behest, uh, the band The Trolls that was the band on his previous album, Beat 'Em Up, which did really well on my albums countdown, and I really love Beat 'Em Up. And the other reason I wanted to play Jose the Arab, not just because it's not an end and it's Iggy, but because that song sounds the most like a song that could have been on the Beat 'Em Up record. That's such a fun, silly, stupid, strong, rocking tune right there. I just had to play it. It's it's great. It's exactly the right amount of absurd and rockin' I need for Mickey Pop. That all being said, Skull Ring became a little bit of a student's reunion, a little bit of a return of the trolls from the previous album, and then guest stars Galore. So even as mostly a purist and a traditionalist and, and something like that, but also someone that's willing to give the new stuff a chance, I I'm gonna throw something down that will probably make people angry me saying it on certain principles, but I gotta tell you it's the absolute truth. The songs that have Green Day backing them up and the songs that have Sum 41 backing them up, I think a song as far as Sum 41 is concerned, but like two or three with Green Day. Those songs and the Trolls songs are the best part of that record. The Stooges songs are goddamn terrible. (laughs) They're awful. And look no further than the actual full-blown Stooges reunion album a few years later. The Weirdness is a bad fucking record record. I will attempt to review it again when it comes up in a few years here on Rock Strikes 10, but I tried to review Skull Ring twice. I disqualified it twice. It's a bad record. Despite the fact that there's some good songs on it, it's a mess. So yeah, and and those two songs he did with Peaches are unlistenable also. It really hurts the album as well. So yes, that song will not be on my album's countdown as I attempt to maintain quality here, but that doesn't take away from how fucking cool of a tune that song Jose the Arab is. So I hope you enjoyed that as we get into the next one here, speaking of legends, well, my God, let's play some Elvis. So I don't play a ton of Elvis on the show, because much like the Beatles, I said before, Elvis doesn't really need my help. But in the early 2000s, I think the estate and whoever else is in charge of the thing might have thought that Elvis needed some help, because I don't think his Q rating was that high, especially with the youth of America. So a few things happened that I think really helped him along. Number one, the randomness of him being kind of a star of the movie, or at least let's say a mascot, a co mascot of the movie, Lilo and Stitch. I think that helped him out quite a bit. It's a great, cute movie. You should go watch it if you haven't. Between that and the fact that they were just like, well, there's a Beatles one. Let's do Elvis one. And they put it out. It totally worked. It sold. They even had a hit with it, with that uh, dance remix of Little Less Conversation, Big. So, yeah, they were like, hey, Well, we did that, and uh, the Beatles didn't have an idea to do a second volume of that, so let's do Elvis, volume two. And the album is called Second to None, which at the time, I was thinking, oh, is this like the number twos? Like, is this going to be all number two singles that Elvis did that didn't quite get number one? It's like, no, most of these are also number one singles. They're just maybe not as popular as the ones that run on Volume 1. So in a way, this one's kind of a little bit cooler. And it got ignored for the most part, but I think it's definitely worthy of being a cool one-disc comp for The King. And uh, definitely going back to the well here, they brought in Paul Oakenfold this time to do a dance remix as opposed to Junkie XL, who would have been a better idea. They should have just went with Junkie XL again. Their sounds a little bit better. Oakenfold is just like bullshit stuff, but they had him come in and do a remix of Rubberneckin. And, and thank God there's another unreleased song on this collection. Because if that was the case, I just wasn't going to play anything off of this. But the second to last track before that Terrible Dance remix is this song right here, which was never released on any Elvis record. They had it in the vaults, and they put it out as a part of this collection. And I think this is a really cool track, and it doesn't have really any bullshit stuff on there. It sounds classic enough but you could tell there's a little bit of modern mixing on it but I think it still totally plays and just the fact that there's an unreleased Elvis song of some quality at this point in 2003 is kind of neat so here you go here's a song you may not have heard here is Elvis Presley along with the Jordanaires by the way with I'm aroused about
1: I feel like I want to fight, but it's still a uh, I can't i
2: yes in any decade in any year era what have you elvis is definitely one of the all-time cool fucking guys right there elvis presley with i'm aroused about from the second to none compilation so go check that one out if you haven't heard it yet give you a nice little refresher on some classics there by elvis okay this next two for actually ties in really well with each other uh, both of these bands shared the main stage at Lollapalooza in 1993 and they were definitely on different career trajectories at this point in 2003 so this first band right here that i'm going to play as part of this twofer is a band that was actually just getting back together with their classic lineup and then the second band had already broken up and was putting out a contractual obligation live album since the band was dead And you got to fill those gaps in on the contract. So a band that's getting back together and a band's breaking up. But yeah, it makes sense to me. So we're going to kick off this twofer with something off of Primus's EP from 2003 called Animals Should Not Try to Act Like People, which is a great essential release for any Primus fan. And as Les put it so well... I remember him saying at the time, and it actually has it here on the Wikipedia when I was looking it up, to actually get an official name of the song because the song I'm going to play has like two titles to it. But Les said, a lot of bands nowadays, they put a DVD to supplement their full-length album. We are putting out an EP to supplement our DVD album. So this release is really cool because it is a full career retrospective of all their videos. And if you know anything about Primus, you know that their videos are essential to the experience of the band the very visual band and of course some of the weirder and more memorable videos of all time and these five songs right here proven as a reunion of the classic trio of les claypool larry lalonde and tim herb alexander so all is right in the world in primus land at this point here in 2003 I I wasn't the biggest fan of the new material, of course, like everybody else, I wanted to love it, but I only found a couple of things I was like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. For me, it has the feel of it's less running the show more so than it being a band effort because it just reminds me of of solo material for the most part. But this one right here, I think is the standout of the EP. It's the most Primus-esque in my opinion. So here you go from the reunion EP, animals should not try to act like people. This is Primus with The Last Superpower, a.k.a. Rapscallion. Enjoy. twofer of two bands that played at lollapalooza 93 and 10 years later they have these different odds and ends releases out started things off with primus with the last superpower aka rap scallion a reunion track and then we finished things off with rage against the machine from their live at the grand olympic auditorium live album which was supposed to come out apparently a few years before this like around 2000 or so but once the band broke up they shelved the record Supposed to come out again around the time that Audio Slave's first album was going to come out. So it got shelved again and it finally made its way out in 2003. Definitely way after the fact and after any kind of buzz could even be associated with this. So the album was basically kind of dead on arrival. I know they put a DVD out of it at the same time so that they they filmed everything professionally and record everything professionally. But yeah, there you have it. I've never seen the DVD, and it's definitely, I think, a little more fun to watch them play the live material than it is to listen to the live material. But I included that one there, War Within a Breath, because that is probably my favorite Rage Against a Machine song, either that or Calm Like a Bomb. So apparently my favorite Rage album of the three is Battle of Los Angeles. I think that's actually a great album. I think the other albums are okay, but Battle of Los Angeles to me is a really, really good record. Okay, moving on here as we get through the A to Z of the Odds and Ends of 2003. This one right here, one of my favorite Odds and Ends of all time. I have definitely played this at some point on the show and I'm a fan of this band and I think this is one of my favorite cover songs of all time. And a 2003, Rasputina the cello goth collective rasputina put out a, an all covers album called the lost and found and they had released it online earlier i think maybe the year before but then they put out a physical release of it and called it lost and found second edition and this was definitely the version to get because there were some extra songs on it so now it's a full-blown covers ep almost the length of a full length but a covers ep nonetheless and of course that makes it an odd and end uh, i played led zeppelin earlier on the odds and ends here of 2003 uh, representing their how the west was one triple live album and i gotta play this one again even though there's some other really quality covers on lost and found like their version of pat benatar's fire and ice you could check out their version of pink floyd's wish you were here all of it's great but this one right here is the absolute prime cherry on the record so here is Rasputina with their version of Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll. Enjoy. Two seventies 70s covers in a row right there. The first one there being Rock and Roll, done by Rasputina. And the original version there of Rock and Roll is a song, of course, you hear all the time, all day, every day, even if you're not trying to. And it's still great. We still love it. And a song that you never hear anywhere, not just the original, definitely not any cover versions. I didn't even know that this cover or even this record existed at all until just a few weeks ago. But so that last song right there was taken from Ricky Rocket's one and only solo album, which it's just a glam rock covers album of classic glam songs from the 70s. And that was Can You Feel It, which was originally a song by Angel. And a lot of interesting notes here. The main band on the entire album is, of course, Ricky playing all the drums. He does sing on one song. I believe it's the T-Rex cover life's a gas i believe it is and you got chuck garrick on bass who we know to be from the current alice cooper band lineup right there chuck garrick the great chuck garrick also a Bisto blanco and on lead guitar blue saraceno who should have been cc deville's replacement in poison wound up being the third main guitar player in poison after richie got fired and right there on lead vocals, you got current lead singer of Quiet Riot and former leader of Love Hate, Jizzy Pearl, right there. So, all those guys doing an angel cover. And even on an all glam rock cover album, that's definitely one of the more obscure songs on the entire album, for sure. But I had to play that one. I thought that was really cool. You never hear angel covers, gotta play it. Okay. All right, this next two for right here, gonna be a fun one, featuring two all time greats right here. I call this twofer for the showman and the surgeons <laughs> and the showman actually has had a history with surgeons as well, but I digress. The top of this two belongs to my spirit animal, Mr. Diamond David Lee Roth in 2003. And this is definitely getting into the second half of the conversation that I had about going to see the Sam and Dave tour in 2002. So his response to that tour was, an album of stuff he probably had sitting around here and there, and he'd probably been recording on and off over these last few years. But for the first time since the DLR band record, I believe that was like, what, ninety six, ninety seven, something like that? So it had been a while, like almost six years. Dave finally puts out a new album, and as it stands currently, his last ever full-length release. So he has not put out a record in full in 20 years since this record and the album is called Diamond Dave. I will say, at the time, I was like, eh, it's okay, I'm a Dave fan, I was defending it to a point. Two things. Number one, I thought it was super duper weird that at the time of its release, and I have the CD to prove this, it actually came out on Magna Carta Records, which was predominantly, if not completely known, as a prog rock label. (laughs) If your band was on Magna Carta, you were listening to Dungeons & Dragons metal, prog metal, whatever you want to call it. So it was kind of weird seeing Dave on this label, but I'm sure they may have even reached out to him. I'm sure they're fans, and that's probably how it happened. They made him a decent offer, and he took it. Uh, This album, Diamond Dave, is predominantly covers. I think there's only one or two originals on it and the rest is covers, and it's weird because it's classic Dave, but also at the same time it's something you wouldn't expect, because when Dave did covers, whether he was in Van Halen or by himself, he would generally do stuff that most people would know. This one's covers, I think it's a little more personal. I think it's songs that he really liked, that he grew up on, and they're all from basically the same kind of period. They're mostly from the early 70s. There's some songs from the late 60s, but it's like late 60s, early 70s, so it's kind of like the peak of him growing up, if I have his timeline correct. So he does do a Beatles song and he does do a Hendrix song, but it's not the obvious songs. And he does a cover of Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows, which he turns into kind of like almost like a synth loopy kind of thing. So it definitely, of course, lacks the punch of the original, but he just in turn calls it on the album that Beatles tune. And he does a cover of Jimi Hendrix's If Six Was Nine, which is a great song, which it's gotta be really hard to cover. And so at that point Dave kinda didn't try. He actually turned it into a almost like poetry slam version of the song. So it's a it's a little bit out there as a covers album goes. And the stuff he's playing straight up is more rave up like old rock and roll boogie type stuff. There's some Savoy Brown material on here. He does a Steve Miller song, but it's not a song that anybody really would have ever heard and Shibata do Ma Mama Ma. And yeah, he he does the Doors Soul Kitchen. Uh, much in the same way that he did the Beatles song, a little bit more modern. Uh, But I kind of like the more obscure songs on here. I think they work a little better because they don't have the familiarity, so I don't have any kind of barometer of what they should sound like. And that's when I think he shines on the record. And the other one for me is the lone original on here. So I'd like to play that as the representative here on the Diamond Dave record. So here is David Lee Roth with a really cool underappreciated rocker of his catalog called Thug Pop. Enjoy. Turn it up. Resurrection comes, it'll be a two-drink minimum. Pretty great right there. Yes, that was Diamond Dave from the album, Diamond Dave, and that was Thug Pop. I thought maybe just because that tune sticks out so much on the record and it's so rock, and I was like, that's got to be an outtake from the DLR band record, but it was not. It was definitely done... Uh, And the same sessions that these other songs were done in. And look no further than the lineup on this thing. So I was about to be like, that was John 5 on lead guitar. It was not. That was Brian Young on lead guitar, who was playing with Dave at this time. Dave drafted Brian Young out of the Atomic Punks, which also gave us David Lee Ralph, who's currently known as Michael Starr of Steel Panther. And on bass right there, you got James Lomenzo, who initially came to us through White Lion as the bass player in White Lion. Wound up playing for Pride and Glory later on, too. A personal fave of mine. And Ray Luzier on drums right there, who is part of the KXM band. (laughs) But, of course, he's more well-known as being the drummer for Korn currently. So there you have it. Talented drummer, though. Much like a lot of other drummers that I'm a fan of, they definitely are making money now playing drums, and good for them. Much like a Brooks Wackerman, that kind of thing. Okay. But yes, hope you enjoyed that. And after that, just to keep you on your toes and keep things moving, a nice, powerful rendition of Distant Early Warning by, of course, Rush from the Russian Rio collection. Rush in Rio, not Russian Rio. But if you say it fast enough, it sounds like Russian. Or just a different language altogether. But no, yes, Rush in Rio You can get that on CD, you can get that on DVD. If you're a Rush fan, you already have both formats like I do. It's great. I wanted to play Just an Early Warning as a late birthday present to my buddy Logan. Hopefully he's out there listening. I know he's a big fan of the album Grace Under Pressure, so I wanted to spotlight that one strictly for him in the hopes that the rest of you enjoy it as well. They are playing their butts off clearly on that Rio collection. And I just love how fat and distorted that Getty Lee bass tone is on that release. Worth checking out, even just for that reason. And also the Simpsons Easter egg that appears at some point during the, the concert. So Okay, so this last one here for the purpose of being at the end of the show, basically. And I didn't want to split... The the two bands. I had a twofer from the same band, and it was going to be like one closing this show and the other one opening the other show. So I moved them back up to be the twofer at the end of this episode. And the song that was supposed to go here, I'm going to kick off the next part. I rarely do that. I rarely cheat on the A to Z odds and ends. But for the purpose of consistency and just to have a better paced show, I'm doing it this way. So we're actually going to close off the show today with a twofer by Sepultura. And not just a by-the-numbers Sepultura twofer that you would expect. Uh, There are some elements to both of these songs that make it really interesting because I I listened to their material. The albums that Derek Green sings on, they're fine. It's just, it feels like a bit of a different band to me. I mean, musically, it's not that much different, but I think a lot of the elements of the creativity and, and what made the band truly great was definitely out the window when Max left the band. Derek's a good singer and everything. I have no big problem with them, but it just, not just because it's newer, it just doesn't feel as instantly great or classic as some of those older Sepultura albums, but they still put out the occasional interesting tune. In 2003, I, I could pay enough attention to this one, they did a covers album. So that was fun for me to go listen to, and I, I enjoyed it enough that I'm going to include a track from it on here. And for the second half of the Sepultura 2, for actually going back to the period where Max was in the band. So what happened with this one is this was a new song in 2003 in a sense because it had never been released before. And much like I did with the Murder Dolls on the previous episode, this song was also used in the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack that, of course, Roadrunner put out. So they found an unreleased song from the Roots sessions back in like the late 90s. And this was the long unheard song that is a collaboration between sepultura and mike patton of many bands the great mike patton so we finally get to hear that real collaboration and mike appeared throughout parts of the roots album so you can hear his voice on the record but this is a true like them playing and mike singing kind of song so it's really neat it almost doesn't feel like sepultura at all if you didn't know musically it would almost feel like they're not the same two bands but they are Uh, from a technical level. So yes, we are going to kick off this twofer right here with a real random cover that you wouldn't expect a band like Sepultura to do, but I love it because they're covering one of my favorite bands of all time. So here is Sepultura doing a song by Devo called Mongoloid. Enjoy! (laughs) Closing off the show here today and closing off part four of the odds and ends of 2003. That was two tracks there by Sepultura that were brand new at this point in 2003, kicked things off with their version of Devo's Mongoloid from Revolu songs. Their covers EP got some other cool tracks on there. They do a PE song. They do a Metallica song, fun stuff. And we finished things off with a song called the waste, which was a duet between Sepultura and Mike Patton that was recorded around 97, 96, 97 and used for the first time on the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack in 2003. Cool track right there. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope you're enjoying the odds and ends and our super spectacular retrospective of 2003 so far. We're going to be back with the last part of the odds and ends, part 5, finishing up the A to Z of that. And then, of course, we're going to get into the top albums of 2003 after that. But until then, stay tuned for my better half, NOLA, with the plugs, and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola.
0: We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats, Ruby and Ripley, a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. Where cinema's trash is treated like treasure, and the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.